it's really, really fun being a part of our church. I'm not going to lie. Um, those letters and those kind of comments happen all the time. And, um, but that's honestly not why I'm mostly excited about being a part of our church, because we can get those letters and we can sit back and be like, oh, we're so awesome, the end. Um, but we are not the end sort of church. Whether you've been knowing and loving Jesus your entire life or you're just brand new on the journey, we want to be a church where everyone, no matter where they start on the path towards Christ, are continually taking steps closer and closer to Jesus. So if, even if you were the people that these guys interacted with and were like, you're at the top of your game, that's so great. Um, we're the kind of church that says, okay, that was great. Way to bless people and keep blessing people. But we always want to be taking steps closer and closer and closer to, towards Christ. And because of that, because of that DNA, man, that is why I'm honored to be part of our church. And this next series is, is just in line with that. We're going to spend the next six weeks looking at this new series called Life in the Sweet Spot. And if you think of like what a sweet spot is, it's that part on the bat where when, you, when, you, when the ball hits it, it actually like goes exponentially further. It's, it's this part that when, like when, uh, when music, when there's these like harmonies and melodies, there's these music waves, and it's the music that goes right in line with that. And we want to live life in this sweet spot. God has created this rhythm for us to be living in, and God wants us to be living in that. And what's interesting is I have, a, I have an old lawnmower um, because I'm cheap, and uh, it has three wheels, and uh, it's a piece of junk, and I leave it in the rain even. It is it's a piece of junk. However, it always works. I can use gasoline. I can use diesel. I can use gasoline mixed with oil. I can use kerosene. Anything that's mildly combustible, I can put it in that thing, and it'll mostly work. And that's what it does. It mostly works. Right? But there's a huge difference between an old lawnmower that mostly works, that you can do anything to it, and it'll work, and driving a really nice, fancy sports car. A really nice, fancy sports car is not like that, right? You have to put in the exact right kind of gasoline. You have to actually go to and service it occasionally, right? If there's just one thing wrong with it, it is done for. It is the end. The more complex something is, the, deep, the more complex something is, the more effort it takes to take care of and to maintain. And we are God's most complex creation, and yet we treat ourselves like these lawnmowers. We always oh, do whatever we want, whatever we want, and it'll work. And we can mostly work. But rather, we are God's most complex creations. And because we're God's most complex creations, there's actually a way in which God wants for us to live and to move and to breathe. And so the next six weeks, we're going to take a look at what does God have for us in that? Jesus summed it up in the greatest commandments. He said to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and to love your neighbors yourself. And for the next six weeks, we're going to unpack that passage of Scripture. We're going to use that passage of Scripture to launch off into other sorts of things. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to take a verse out of context because it doesn't even work exactly for that, but Jeff will fix it for next week. And, um, but we're going to take a look at the first part of that, love the Lord God with all of your heart. And unless we get our heart set right, unless we figure out what's going on inside of us, unless we're willing to stop, take a look in the mirror and say, God, what are you doing in me? The rest of it's futile. So this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at our heart. It's going to be kind of fun. It's going to be kind of brutal, but it'll be great when it's all said and done. So if you think about this, this is going to be the framing statement. This is this truth that I've been wrestling with for a few years now, but I think is more and more true. And that is this, that I thrive when I'm living out of a heart that is full. When my heart is full, man, I'm thriving. I'm in the sweet spot. Like life is going great. In all of human history, all the ancients talk about the same way. The heart is not your actual organ inside of you. It's referring to your inner self, your mind, your conscience, your will. It's like it's your guts. It's like the thing inside of you. It's the core of your being. 
And all of us have a core of our being. All of us have something that's going on inside of us. And when that thing inside of us is full, we thrive. So think back. Think back over your life um, about the times when you were thriving and your heart was full. When was the last time that your heart was just full? And here's what's sad to say. I mean, I was like, there's only a few times. When I think back on my whole life, there's only a few of these times. And one of them was, it was my wedding, that, my wedding day. And uh, that was a great day, right? I'm standing up here at the altar. My beautiful wife's sitting, sitting next to me saying, man, I love you. You love me. We're going to do this thing. You know, through thick and thin, you are mine. I am yours. We said in front of all of our friends, right? We are in it to be loved like that, to be with our friends, to have everyone celebrate with us. And what's so funny is when your heart is full and when you're full of thriving, you can't help but just to dance. You can't help just to get after it. And uh, there's nothing like going to a wedding uh, reception and the dancing that happens at a wedding reception. It is so fun. Another time that I found myself being just so full in my heart uh, was just this last February, we took our students on a mission trip down to Mexico. And I think taking the kids on a service trip down to Mexico or to Guatemala or wherever we go, it's this thing in me where it's like, I'm doing the thing that God made me to do. God loves me. He called me to be his kid. He called me to serve humanity. He called me to be a youth worker. I get to be with young people and help them explore their own calling and to see what God's doing, to hear people's stories, to live life in community, to worship God, to serve. Like when, and all that happens in a week, and my heart is like, yes. And what's so funny is on a mission trip, like youth group is great and stuff, but on a mission trip, all of a sudden, we're like cranking out music in our vans and we're swerving down the streets and we're jumping and going crazy. Like we can't help but just to dance and laugh. And, and this is another time for me when my heart is full is almost every Friday morning. Fridays are my days off. And uh, on Friday morning, my kids have breakfast and they go to school. It's awesome. <laughs> Love you. And every Friday, I was thinking back, every single Friday morning, we're cranking music and we're dancing and we're laughing and we're having so much fun because for me, I'm like, yes, I get to rest away from you. And I'm so full. And so we want to think, when was the last time that you were full? Because when our heart is full, we are going to be thriving. And um, and there's this uh, passage of scripture that I want to look at. It's Luke chapter 6, verse 45. It says, a good man brings good things out, out of the good stored up for his, in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up for him in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings the good things out of the good stored up in his heart. What's interesting is who we are on the inside, it percolates out. And here's what's interesting. There is a war that's going on inside of us. Every single human being doesn't matter if you're male or female, what part of the world you live in, what religion you are, rich or poor, every human being has this war inside them. It's the reason why every movie, every story, every book, every piece of literature talks about this war that's happening inside of us. There's this good part of us and there's this bad part of us, and they're constantly at war. And who um, are we going to lean into? Uh, Art said, right, what dog are we going to feed? And we need to recognize what is that thing that's going on inside of us. And as Christians, I think uh, Scripture has an incredible way to help us understand this inner war that's happening inside of us. And that's this, that all of us have this good nature part of us. Because we're made in the image of God, all humans everywhere in the world are made by God. We have the fingerprints of God all over us, which means that we are made to live a certain way. Don't you think it's fascinating that people all over the world have these certain things that they have in common, these certain values? We all humans everywhere have this high value for love and for beauty and for worship and for justice. 
None of us do any of that well, but every human being longs for those things. It's because we're made in the image of God. We're created to live out those things, and so we have this war inside of us. And the story of Scripture says there's a war because we also have this sinful nature. Because we are sinful people, because we are broken, because we've been separated from God, we have this flesh that is at war. We are selfish and prideful. And so while we may long for love and beauty and worship and justice, what ends up finding is we find hostility and selfishness and idolatry and exploitation. And those are the things that begin to frame our lives. And so there's this war that's happening inside of us. And I love the story of Scripture because the story of Scripture actually gives us a path. How do you move through this war and end up on the side where what comes out of our heart is good and honoring towards God? And the whole story of Scripture goes, ends with Jesus who dies for our sin, who gives us the power of the resurrection inside of us and gives us a new heart. And that new heart molds us and shapes us and transforms us. So this morning, we are going to take a look at this idea that we want to be people who are led by our heart. But we want to make sure that our heart is thriving. So there's this passage that we're going to memorize together. It's going to be really easy because I love short passages of Scripture that are easy to memorize. This is Proverbs 4.23. It says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. What is happening inside of your heart? What is going on in the inner sanctum of who you are? That is the most important thing. All of us know how to fake it. All of us know how to white-knuckle it. All of us can get along for an hour or two hours, for a week or even a year. We can do the right thing for a little bit. But unless our heart is right, at some point, we're going to take our hands off the wheel. We're done white-knuckling it, and our whole life is going to spin out of control. So instead of taking all that effort and holding on for dear life, all that effort, with all of who we are, we guard our hearts. For out of our heart comes everything we do. So let's just read this passage together. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Above all else... Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Let's read that one more time. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Gosh, that is my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. I want us to be a church that puts our effort into guarding our heart, that moving towards Christ for everything that we do will flow from that. So this morning, we're going to take a look at a character who uh, did this really well, and then he didn't. So that makes me feel a little better about myself. So if you have a Bible, you need to turn to 1 Samuel. It's in the Old Testament. It's, um, it's in the, it's the, you can grab a Bible in front of you. You can grab your Bible app. You can go to Google and search 1 Samuel. And we're going to take a look at the story of King David, who was the best and worst king, who was the best and worst man, who was just incredible and awful all at the same time. I'm like, I love this guy. I can relate to him. And, uh, and yet, even in all of his ups and downs, he was referred to as a man after God's own heart. So here we are. We're going to start um, with um, 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to start with the story of David. And so the story of David begins with this in chapter 16, where, Sam, where David is called by God. David is called by God. Um, and so what happens is Samuel is a prophet. And uh, there's, a, there's a King Saul, who's the very first king of Israel, and he's, uh, he's doing a, a decent job, and he starts kind of going off the rails, and God calls Samuel, says, Samuel, there's going to be a new king. 
and I need you to go to the house of Jesse because one of his sons is going to be the new king. And, uh, and so Samuel, he takes, his, uh, he takes his ram horn worth of, of oil and he goes to the house of Jesse. And Jesse you know, is this big guy and handsome, obviously, because he has all these handsome sons. And he goes up and he's looking at all these sons. And he goes to the first and oldest son who should be the new king and look at the handsome oldest son. And God's like, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. And goes all the way down the line until finally there's... He's like, well, it's none of these sons. And he asks Jesse, well, is there another son? He's like, yeah, my son David, he's, out, he's outside, you know. He's like, well, bring him in. He brings in David, and that is who is called. And ch- chapter 16, verse 7 says, says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. That's talking about Saul. But the Lord does not look at the outward things that people look at, but he looks at the heart. God does not look or care about our outward appearance. God does not care who you are, what you do, how rich, how poor, how handsome, how ugly, how thin, how fat. He does not care about any of those things. He looks straight to the heart, and God saw straight to the heart of David and said, you are my man. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day the Spirit of the Lord came came powerfully on David. And I love that picture. David, he did nothing. He did not one thing except God saw him and said, you are my guy. I'm reading this incredible book by Brene Brown called um, Daring Greatly, and she wrote this YouTube, uh, she, she did this uh, TED Talk a while ago, and she's a sensation. She does this whole research, like a real scientist, talking about shame. And uh, I'm like, oh, speaking my love language, my number one issue, T- tell me more. And uh, she's going, she does, so this book that I'm reading is all about shame, how we get it, how we get rid of it. And, uh, and she said, there's, it's really, there's two people in the world. There's people who have a sense of worth and value, and people who don't have a sense of worth and value. And you know what the only thing that makes someone have a sense of worth or value or not? The only thing is that they believe it. I thought it was so much harder than that. The only thing that matters if you have value and if you have worth is if you believe it. Now, ideally, in a perfect home that's not too dysfunctional, right? Your parents give that to you. People give that to you. Um, you receive that from other places. But even if you come from the most dysfunctional, crazy background of all time, that's what's incredible about the, Christmas story. I mean, the Christian story is that God sees us, and God calls us. And our worth and our value is not based on who we are, who our families are, what kind of families we came from. Our worth and value come because God calls us, because God sees us. Because God anoints us and says, you are my daughter and you are my son. You're not just slaves. You're not just worker bees. You're not just people. You're not just cannon fodder. You're not just these things. You are my people. And what's incredible is David, because he was called by God, because he was anointed by God, the whole trajectory of his life was was changed. In his very heart, he knew that he had worth, that he knew that he had value. And so if you want to be someone who's thriving, if you want to be someone whose heart is full, it all begins that we have to recognize that we are called by God. We have worth. All human beings have worth and dignity because we're made in the image of God, but even more so for those who give their life to Jesus, you are now his daughters and sons, and we are all called by God. Well, David's story goes on into chapter, um, the end of chapter 16, where David now, his gifts were affirmed. Not only was he called by God, he was somebody who brought something to the table. He was, he was a great, uh, he played the lyre, which I don't know what that is, but I know what a guitar is, and that has strings, so that makes sense to me. Um, but he, was, uh, he, he played music well. He was a good leader. He was strong. He was able to do things. And sure enough, he gets invited from going to be a shepherd to being brought into Saul's uh, kingdom and to serve him. In uh, chapter 16, verse 18, it says, One of the 
servant said, I've seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and is a warrior and he speaks well and he's a fine looking man and the Lord is with him. On verse 23, whenever the spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then the relief would come to Saul and he would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. What's incredible is it's great being called and having value, and that's super great. But what happens when you start living into your call, when you start being the person that God made you to be, you're going to get these little affirmations. And when you get these little affirmations, it builds on your character, builds on your esteem, because it's like it's not just, oh, my mom likes me. It's like, oh, my mom likes me, and, the, and be, other people see those things in me too. Um, and so like, there's this great book that our college kids read. It's called Strength Finder. You should read it. Business people read it. It's like there's 33 strengths in there. Who knew that? I thought there was only like one that was like to be a good singer. You could, there's like 33 strengths. And so you take this test and you go, these are the things I'm good at. And you're like, oh, well, why don't I just lean into those things? And the more you do the things that you, you're good at, right, you, you get this sense of worth and you get this affirmation of your worth that already begins with that you're called. So David was called. His gifts were affirmed. And then it goes on. And then he has this great victory. What's the number one story about David that you know of? David and Goliath. It's a gnarly story. It's my favorite story. I mean, it's incredible, right? David, he was this little pipsqueak of a guy. Um, there were the, the battle, uh, Israel was battling the Philistines, and uh, they, they were at the standstill. And David was, I mean, Goliath was this huge, huge man. And he's basically he's taunting them, saying, hey, come and fight me. If you, if, you know, whoever fights me, if you can fight me uh, and you win, then, then, you, then we'll surrender. But no one fight him because he was just gigantic. And David's like, why wouldn't you fight him? The Lord's with us. We can do this thing. Let's just do this thing. And what's crazy is everyone's like, you're crazy, David. And Israel should know they're God's people. But David, he knew it in his heart. He knew in his heart, I am God's person. I am God's guy. I am God's anointed. I have these gifts. I have these things. I've seen God in action. So why, if God says he's going to deliver us, why would he not deliver us? And sure enough, he goes um, down there, fights David, I mean, fights Goliath and kills him. He cuts off his head and holds his head up. It's really savage. It's great. Like, all, guy, all, all young boys should read that over and over. It's incredible. Well, this, this picture here, this is this picture um, of the, this women's soccer team down in L.A., Taft School. And uh, they, uh, the year before, they were the worst team in the L.A. school district. They began the, their, their season being 1-11. And, and what's interesting is their coach, Walter um, Escalon, he was this kind of coach. He, for some reason, he's like, and, and coaches know this. You look at your group of kids, and sometimes you're like, yep they're the worst. Like, you just know, you're like, God bless them. It's a rebuilding year. Kind of how the Niners are. You're like, that's just going to be how it is. But this coach, he didn't just like falsely believe them. He knew these girls. Like, these girls are awesome. Just hasn't been going our way. We'll figure it out because they are awesome. I see how great they are. I see how hard they work. I see what kind of team they're going to be. They are incredible. And sure enough, he did not give up and he coached them and he led them and they fought and they figured out who they were and they kept winning and they kept winning. They made it all the way to championship game. And sure enough, in the championship game, you know, they're losing. 0-2 all the way through until the last 13 minutes. And no one gave up because they didn't give up because they knew in their hearts that they were champions. They were winners. They knew it. Their coach instilled that in them and they played like it. And sure enough, in a good old-fashioned story, they, they won at the end. 3-0 to in the last 13 minutes. Who, that end, I thought soccer ended in a tie. Not here. It was incredible. These guys experienced victory. And when you experience victory, you're like, oh. right? If you're called by God, if you have your um, gifts and talents affirmed, if you experience victory, right, your faith soars, who you are soars, you're, you are getting after it. But what I love about the story of David is his um, his life actually gets tested. In, uh, and you see um, in the next chapter in Samuel, um, I just lost my spot, sorry. In chapter 18, Saul starts getting really jealous. And, uh, and so 
Um, it says right here in chapter 18, verse 10. So, David, so he was prophesying his house while David was playing the lyre like he's supposed to do. And Saul had a spear in his hand and he hurled it. Like he freaks out and he throws his spear at David and says, I'll pin David against the wall. But David eluded him twice. So not just once he throws a spear at him, twice he throws the spear at David. And that sends off like the next six or seven chapters of scripture where David is basically kicked out of the house of Saul and is running for his life. And him and his best buddies are running all over the place. They're going to other countries. They're hiding out in caves and they are doing whatever it takes to get away. And what's interesting about David is David was resolute in defeat. We have to understand that the story of Scripture is not that everything is going to be great all the time. It's not that we're going to find victory every day and all day. That is not how it works. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? He says, your, your life is like a house. It's built on a rock. When the winds come, when the storms come, it's not saying you know and love Jesus, no more winds or storm. No, the winds and storms are going to come. That is part of life. But is, is your house built on rock or is it on sand? And because David knew who he was in the core of his being, even though he was kicked out of the house of Saul, even though he was running for his life, and there's this awesome scene where he's in this cave and he's hiding in a cave and Saul tiptoes into this cave and he goes like a king and he just goes to the bathroom. How awesome is that? He goes to the bathroom in the cave and, and, and David, he cuts off part of his robe and he holds it. And he comes back and he confronts Saul and says, listen, I could have killed you, but you're God's anointed right now. I may be king someday, but you're God's anointed. This is not my time. And because that, even in defeat, he was resolute. He could have killed him, taken over the kingdom, and been the man, but he knew that it was not his time because he knew who he was and what God had for him, and he was resolute in defeat. And then lastly, he was joyful in celebration. At, um, at the very end, um, they, David find, Saul dies, and David finally becomes king. And, uh, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, right, coming into Jerusalem. And he has this party. He says, wearing a linen robe, David was dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And while he and all of Israel were bringing up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and sounds of trumpets. And it was just this huge party. And whenever I think of crazy dancing, it was so crazy that, it, that his, um, one of his wives, Michael, who was actually Saul's daughter, just looked on him and was like disgusted at, the, at, this, at this dancing. But when I think of it, I think it looks something like this. Well, it could have looked something like this. Dancing. Come on, who's dancing? You want me to, you want me to get it started? I'll get yes. it started. Yeah. 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 looked like that, right? I mean, the way that you hear the story of Scripture, David, he was just dancing. And these people dancing with all their might, they don't care what people think. They're not looking around going, that guy's an idiot. They're getting after it. Everyone around the room is like, what is up with that person, right? Michael in the story was like, what is up with David? You're embarrassing yourself. But David was God's man. David had his, um, his gifts, and he experienced the victory in his gifts, and he got to use his gifts. Even in defeat, he had faith, and he trusted God, and he was resolute. And when the time came for it all to come together, he didn't care. He just busted it out. He danced. He was, mm. he was like, could do it. I don't want to do it. I'm going to fall and hurt my knee. Um, but it, and I, I don't dance because I, I don't feel that free. It is so rare to feel that free. Think of the last time that you just cut loose. We don't do it because we are not that free. But the heart of God and the heart of God for us is that we would thrive when we live connected to a full heart. And we know that our heart is full 
when we are full of joy and when we dance and when we get after it. That's what God has for us. That's what God longs for us. And what's interesting is when I think of my own life and I look at the students that I work with and I just think of our church, there's so many times along the way that we get derailed. There's so many times that like, it should make sense that we are love people and we should just get after it and find joy. But instead, I don't dance because I'm too embarrassed of what I might look like or I, have, or I have body issues or I have no talent or whatever. But why do I know those things or why do I even care? For some reason, there's something that's not quite whole in me, right? right? And, and think of when in your life did you figure out that you weren't good enough, that you didn't measure up enough, that you weren't loved enough, that you didn't matter enough? All of us, somewhere in our life, we kind of came to this realization at some age that we were not it. We were not worthy of love. And we stopped being free. What's brutal is my daughter, she's in third grade. She's so precious and beautiful. And she has stomach aches and gets freaked out about Monday because of girl drama at third grade. Oh, the third grade. I didn't even think I'd, I didn't even, wasn't even self-aware until like ninth grade or maybe 20. I don't know. But my daughter at third grade, right? All of us at some point, have gotten the message that we are not worth it. And so we thrive when we live out of a full heart. But the opposite is also true, that we wither when we live out of a heart that is neglected. We wither when we live out of a heart that is neglected. And we, as followers of Christ, have to defend our heart with all of who we are. We have to guard our heart with everything of who we are because we will get derailed. It doesn't matter even if just yesterday we experienced great victory, we will get crushed if we do not guard our heart. As followers of Christ, as the body of Christ, it is on us to guard the hearts of other people. We must be vigilant and care for and love other people and guard their heart. That's why in our youth group we don't do pranks. Super silly and dumb. We don't do pranks because pranks crush people. They probably crushed us when we were kids, but we didn't know good enough. But it crushes people. So we don't prank people because it crushes them. We don't use certain language because it crushes them. I might think it's funny, but it crushes people, right? So there's certain freedoms that we give up that we are willing to give up because we want to guard other people's hearts as well. So we wither when we live out of a heart that is neglected. And I love the story about David because David is dancing before the Lord. I wish the Bible ended at the end of that passage of Scripture. If it ended there in 2 Samuel and with David dancing at the end, that would be the great. It's like every movie, it's the end. But it doesn't because David all of a sudden neglected his heart. And there's just three quick things I want to wrap up our time with is this. And this is first that, that David went off the rails. David went off the rails. He was this incredible king, this incredible leader, and, uh, and he got bored, he got tired, he got selfish, he got entitled. Instead of being God's guy, he was just like, I'm gonna do what I want. All of his people went off to battle and he's like, I'm gonna stay at home. And sure enough, he's staying at home and he's you know, outside and he's looking out across his kingdom and a couple houses over is this beautiful lady bathing naked on a rooftop. How awesome is that? And he looks at her and says, she's beautiful. This is awesome. And I remember when I was a kid, I read this passage of scripture. I was always be on rooftops now. I'm like, what's going on? Anything? Any luck? It never, never happened. So apparently only in Israel that happened. But he's going around and he's looking and he sees Bathsheba and she's like, oh, she's so beautiful. I'm the king. I deserve. I can get whatever I want. I'm entitled. I'm the king. She's beautiful. She's mine. So he goes and he calls her over and he sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. But he's a king. Who cares, right? That's what he's allowed to do. He goes and gets her pregnant, but he feels bad because he didn't want to get her pregnant. So what does he do? So he calls her husband, Uriah, home from battle, says, hey, Uriah, you're, you're my man. You're so great. You should spend some time with your wife, you know, because you're so great. And he's like, 
no, I'm in, I'm, my men are fighting like you should be, but I'm not going to do that. Anyway, this whole long thing happens. He doesn't sleep with his wife, so therefore she's still pregnant, so he has to get rid of Uriah. So David, who's God's man, who loves God, who served God, who danced crazily before the Ark of the Covenant, now commits adultery, sleeps with this woman, and now has Uriah murdered to cover up what he did. He went off the rails. He went off the rails. So just because we experience victory in one moment, we have to make sure we hold on and guard our hearts because it is so easy to go off the rails. And David does that. He goes off the rails. Well, I think one of the reasons why David is upheld as a man after God's own heart, even after this awful, horrific thing, is he's the king and he got busted. He got caught by his prophet Nathan. And when Nathan busted him, he could have said, who are you? I'm the king and killed Nathan. That's what every other king should have done. But instead, Nathan rebukes him. He catches him. He says, you blew it. You're the worst. You screwed up. You are God's man and you screwed up. And he got caught. If you think about it, most of us in our life, we've made our lives in such a way that we don't have anyone around us to catch us anymore. Who in your life is able to catch you? Who in your life has space to bust you? No one has space in my life. I pretend there's people in my life, but really no one has space to bust me. And every now and then, Katie musters up the courage and she busts me. She says, you think you're doing a great job. You're a good husband. You're a good pastor. You're a good dad. You are actually this monster right now. You're angry and out of control and you better get your crap together. No, I'm handsome. I'm good looking. Look how great I am. You know, people like me. I'm doing a great job. And she's like, no, they don't. She <laughs> busts me. But all of us, we are so good at keeping people away from us that we never get a look in the mirror. And so we have to have people, we have to have Nathans in our life who will catch us. And David got caught. But even more than getting caught, this is what's so incredible about David is how David responded. He could have killed Nathan, but instead David breaks down. I don't know if you've ever like, done something so wrong and you knew it. A couple weeks ago at youth group, I teased a girl because um, I thought I was being funny, and I teased her. And you know sometimes you tease and it's ha-ha, and sometimes you tease and you could just see, like, I just fundamentally broke something. And that something was this precious girl. And something happened in me, and immediately, like, I, I, like no joke, whenever I left, I, like, I tried to laugh it off, but I, like, I bowed down to her knees. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I totally screwed up. Because I could tell she was a kid. She hasn't learned how to cover it up yet. We know how to cover it up. How do we respond? Are we willing to go, oh, I screwed up? Well, this incredible passage of Scripture, one of my favorite passages, just because of my own life, I guess, but is in Psalm 51. This is, what, this is how David responds. And this is why he's a man after God's own heart. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. 
create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Having a heart that is thriving is not about having everything go well. It's not even about doing the right thing all the time. It's about knowing what in the world is going on inside of you and to live out of that. Here's the four things that I just found from there that I think we should do these things. We should be humble. Be humble. To acknowledge our faults. Everyone sees them. We just pretend we don't. Acknowledge our faults. We must ask Jesus and others for restoration. And then we can live in freedom. The problem is, we don't do any of those. But usually we stop at being humble. Or maybe acknowledging our faults. It's kind of fun. We blow people off. Oh, I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad at this. But what happens is we find true freedom when we say, I have screwed up. I am not that good at that. I got promoted past what I'm able to do. When we live in freedom, what happens is we find that other humans, we find from God that, we also, that God still loves us. God still sees us. Our spouses still see us. Our friends still love us. Like, we're human. We all have these things inside of us. And so to acknowledge them, to ask for forgiveness, we can then live in freedom. So here's two quick questions for you to, to, to go away with. One is this. Who is holding up the mirror to your heart? I'm not going to lie, it was hard to think about this. And I, I have to confess, very, very few people have access to me like that. If we are going to be people who are connected to our heart, who are thriving in our heart, we can't do it unless someone is going to hold the mirror up to us. Who is that person? And usually because of our context and our culture, no one is just going to do it. We shut those people out a long time ago. You have to invite somebody to hold that mirror up. So would you consider doing that? And second, what do you need to confess so that you can live in freedom? There is no freedom without confession. We think of it the opposite. We think there's only freedom and joy and celebration. There's joy and celebration because we are fully loved and seen. We're not fully loved and seen unless we confess. So what are you hiding? What are you ashamed of? What are those inner things that are those inner demons that you're too scared to let out? I got time for one quick last story. You love self-deprecating stories, so let's just get after it. It makes you feel better about yourself. I, um, a couple weeks ago, I went on vacation with Katie, and we had this great time together, and we kept getting these fights. And we kept having, you know, when you haven't been on vacation in a long time, and all of a sudden you're like three days away, and you're like, oh, we haven't talked in three, like forever, so let's fight, right? That's kind of sometimes our rhythm. So we get in these fights, and we're having these conversations, and really what ended up happening is finally she's holding the mirror up, she's holding the mirror up, she's holding the mirror up, and all of a sudden I like broke down, like, oh my goodness, I'm just totally struggling because I'm failing at this, this, and this. And it took so much courage to say those things. And my poor wife's like, yeah. 
Like, I've known that for, like, our whole marriage. I'm like, what? And, like, I've been trying so hard to pretend that those things weren't happening, so hard to pretend that those things were not, weren't part of me. And, like, she just beat it out of me, say it, say it, say it. And finally I said, oh, here's the things. She's like, I know. I love you. We're going to keep working those things out. That was it. Like, that thing, all that happened was me to confess and her to affirm me and love me and forgive me. And the rest of our vacation was over. It was incredible. So who is going to hold up your mirror and what do you need to confess so that you can live in freedom? Let me pray for us. And uh, and this prayer will also just be our benediction. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father and our gracious God, we thank you that you love us. For many of us, that might just be words, but we pray more and more those wouldn't be words, but those would be real things, a real Thing that you have towards us, not towards humanity, but towards us individually, towards us personally, that we are called by you to be your daughters and sons through Jesus Christ. We have worth, and we have value, we have dignity, we have gifts, we have things to bring to the table. God, may we guard our hearts for everything we do flows from it. Guard our hearts. And when we get off the rails, God, may we hold mirrors up to each other. May we confess and may we be free to forgive so that we will be a church that moves towards you, that finds joy because we are people who celebrate that we are loved by not just the creator of the universe, but by his body as well. And may all honor and glory be to your son, Jesus, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.